All right, welcome on in to another edition of the Wolverine.com podcast here on our YouTube channel. If you're watching live Monday at 6 p.m., it is September 19th. I am Anthony Broom, joined by Clayton Safey and Biff Tannen. I mean, Chris Ballas. So good to have Butthead. <laughs> good to have the three of you guys here. Uh, Producer Hutch working, working the knobs and dials behind the scenes. Uh, we will do what we do every Monday night, uh, discuss Michigan football, um, some of the topics coming off the weekend, a lot to kind of sift through now that non-conference play is in the books. Obviously, everyone knows a 59-0 win over UConn on Saturday afternoon. So, uh, I, I mean, I guess what we'll do is is we'll kind of go through takeaways. We will take your questions throughout. Told the guys before the show, we didn't do a great enough job uh, taking your questions last week. So, again, feel free to get those on in throughout. Uh, if you want to move yourself to the front of the line, you can use uh, the super chat feature, which was just a little just like dropping a dollar in the tip jar or however much you decide to drop in the tip jar gets your shout out and your question answered on the spot. So feel free to utilize that feature as well. But before we get into tonight's show, I want to talk about our friends over at the Rogue Shop, our proud presenting sponsor of our Monday Night Live show. Uh the Rogue Shop is a husband and wife outfit led by our pals Richard and Shar, who are craft cannabis farmers, a husband-wife duo that specialize in small batch, sustainable plant medicine. I can't read my own reads tonight. Uh, Richard is a disabled combat veteran, and his wife, uh, Shar, is a certified CBD consultant and life coach. The Rogue Shop operates out of Eau Claire, Wisconsin, and they work to not only grow and manufacture, but also educate the population about THC-based medicines. The three of us were on a call with them about a month ago, got to know them a little bit and what they're about, so we're excited to be working with them. If you're looking with products, or if you're looking for products that can help with stress, anxiety, chronic pain, insomnia, Rogue Shop menus of products are perfect for you, uh, and they're willing to hop on a live chat with you as well, give detailed feedback, give answer any questions you might have, and also they have a special deal for you guys. Uh, if you want to check out what the Rogue Shop has to offer, head on over to uh, rogueshop.com. You can use the promo code the Wolverine for 10% off. So we encourage you guys to give them a try. Check them out. Uh, Rogue Shop sells Delta 8, Delta 9, CBD, and HHC products that are all lab direct without middlemen. Some of the psychoactive products they carry are gummies, moon rocks, pre-rolls, Flowers, dabs, diamonds, lollipops, hard candies, tinctures, you name it, they have it all. They have salves, lip balms, uh, bath soaks, soaps, CBD flowers, hot cocoa, massage oils, pain creams, you name it, it's all there. All of the products are handcrafted for consistently potent and perfect results. Uh, like I said before, they grow their own stuff, they manufacture their own product, and, and like I said, we were able to... Um, Clayton, we talked about this last week where each little care package that they send you comes with a nice little handwritten letter. And we've all, uh, we've all received that. And I guess talk about your experience with them so far. Uh, it's been a magazine. I mean, just from my perspective, it's been a magazine week. Uh, some of the gummies they sent are perfect. If you get just the right, just the right amount of it for staying focused and kind of cranking stuff out. I feel like the last week or so, the three of us have been doing like 28 hours of work in a 24 hour day. So if you need that extra kick to keep you locked in, I mean, that's, they, they've got, they've got it for you. 
Yeah. yeah for me, I'll say this nine hours straight of sleep. You know what? Uh, needing hard sleep. Uh, fantastic. The, the one thing I will say, though, is that we don't you know, we love our sponsors and we don't uh, we don't support things that we don't believe in. And, and I believe in these people, man. When we talking to these people, they're just good people. And uh, and you get to know people, you know, even just in a, in a one hour conversation. Uh, and I love the mom and pop aspect to it. I'll say that right off the bat. So uh, proud to have them as a sponsor. Hope you guys will support them. Uh, we're, we are, I know we're going to support them. I can promise you that. And, uh, and just to really appreciate their business. Yeah. It's pretty cool that we were able to hop on and actually talk to them and they kind of, you know, gave us the rundown. You can do the same thing on their site too, with the live chat feature. So like, it's kind of daunting when you go on there and see all the products that Anthony was listing, but to actually be able to, you know, kind of get feedback on what works for you. The CBD gummies helps you relax, unwind a little bit after some of these long days we're working. So uh, great product. Excited to have them on board. Yeah, I feel like when I read through that, and we do it, did get a super chat from Brian here. Uh, we will get to your question, Brian, and your shout out here momentarily. I uh, just want to wrap up on them. I feel like when I was going through the list of products that I was like Bubba from Forrest Gump where – they have this, they have that, they have this, they have that. So they're great. We love working with them. Uh, as I said before, promo code for 10% off is the Wolverine over at rogueshop.com. So thank you to the fine folks over at Rogue Shop. So we have a lot to cover tonight. We did get a super chat here from Brian. Uh, so we're going to get into his question first, bring it up onto the screen. He says, you should ask Harbaugh if he's thought about Alex Orgy taking handoffs from J.J., he is Bo Scarborough 2.0. And I'm pretty sure this must have been uh, the same poster on the board who said he this. posted so he, it a, a few times, I think. Yeah. Well, he's okay, I got to ask, do we really get part of that five bucks? Is that how Super Chats work? Or are you guys yanking my chain? Because well, this is exciting for me. Legit. And you got you and Skeen got a yen, uh, some yen sent to you. Oh, did we? Ayako a couple weeks ago. I'm going to yeah. take it and I'm going to use it and take a Yakawa to dinner when I go to Japan. <laughs> there so, you go. That's a promise. Yeah. So, yeah. They, anyway. uh, yeah, the super chats are great. Uh, yeah. Appreciate you guys. And if you want to jump to the front of the line, uh, be be sure to do that. So uh, to get to his question, I guess let's just talk about the the quarterback situation in general. I mean, JJ McCarthy is the starter moving forward. We know that. Uh, Cade McNamara, unfortunately, injured at the end of the first half. We can talk about sort of what happened in that a little bit later. But Alex Orgy is the guy that Jim Harbaugh brought up today. We didn't have to ask him. He brought him up in terms of a guy that we might see more of moving forward, just in terms of uh, you don't want to get to the, you know, the backup quarterback thing is more of a break in case of emergency type situation. But just talking about Alex Orgy in general, um, you know, where, where does this guy fit in? Because he's an interesting player to me. I mean, yeah, he's taking handoffs sort of, he's sort of like a, a faster, I don't know, Dan Villari type, but I don't know when you look at what they have at quarterback, like, I don't know that that's where he's really going to be parked out over the next couple of years. I can tell you this, that they have been experimenting with him in this in the fall in taking some handoffs and short yardage things. And it's probably part of the reason I think that Kalel Mullings is no longer a short yardage back option. So uh, they really like him and his athleticism. Uh, ultimately, who knows where he ends up? This is a guy who could play a number of different positions. And that's what I love about Jim Harbaugh. Like when he recruited Zach Gentry, for example, he probably had it in mind that, hey, if this this guy's not a quarterback. He's going to be a tight end. Guess who I saw you know, out there for the Pittsburgh 
Pittsburgh Steelers this weekend. Every time I see Gentry on there, I think, boy, they really owe Jim Harbaugh a debt of gratitude for yes. changing his position and because he wasn't going to be an NFL quarterback. So, uh, but guess what? He's a five year or whatever NFL tight end going to get a pension. And uh, so, but I think that is how they're going to use orgy at some point. And uh, he's got to, of course, he's got to prove himself there and I think he will, but uh, they say that he keeps saying too, that he's going to let him throw the ball a little bit. So I'm waiting for him on one of these you know, snaps to run toward the line and pull a Denard Robinson, pull it back and maybe hit somebody in the, in the seam or something like that. So, but he is a talent. There's no question about it. And I think you will see that buddy. I really do. Will this be the game that Jabril throws a pass too? I mean, we were waiting. Yeah. To, he, I think he threw maybe one in that season, but Did he? I don't yeah, remember. you're right. I mean, I will say this about Orgy. I could see him ending up, you know, being kind of a running back type or, you know, also Wildcat. I could see him, as Anthony mentioned on the message board earlier, like the Michael Barrett role. Maybe you, you know, play him as a linebacker or kind of like a, you know, bigger nickel or something like that. But going forward in the immediate, immediate future here with this quarterback, you know, situation with Cade McNamara kind of out. You know, maybe it'll be Davis Warren or Alan Bowman as the backup. But if it gets to that. Uh, it's not a bad option to have a guy like Alex Orgy where you get in certain situations, you can bring him in, take a little pressure off one of those two guys. And Davis Warren has never played in college outside of a few snaps, you know, the other week and, and on Saturday. So, uh, you know, to have that option of a guy who's, who's proven, I mean, there's only three players on this team with multiple rushing touchdowns. It's Blake Corum, Donovan Edwards, and Alex Orgy. So, I mean, he's getting some good experience here. I could see him being a factor if they had to go with, you know, the backup route without J.J. McCarthy in there, which would be, you know, knock on wood that, you know, hopefully will not happen. But yeah, that could be yeah. a disaster, fellas. Yeah, well, that's, I think yeah. they'd be a little better off than when they went from Denard Robinson to uh, Russell Bellamy. But yeah. uh, like I said, I, you're, you're just one, you're one snap away from everything kind of going to hell there now, which is why it's it's been good that they had two starting caliber quarterbacks. And we'll see what happens with Cade McNamara. Uh, if he returns this year and when he returns this year. Uh, a couple couple things to put a pin on that Orgy question, too, is Alex Orgy, 6'3", 235. I mean, he looks the part of a guy that could be a bigger back. Uh, for comparison, Bo Scarborough at Alabama was 6'1", 235. Um, so he's actually a little bit bigger than him, and it sort of harkens back to the last Michigan guy that was a back that was that big was Ty Isaac, who was 6'3", about 230. So... If they decide that he has that type of skill set, that might be something to look at in the future. So, um, you know, when you look at his long-term status, depending on what happens with Jaden Davis or, you know, what this hierarchy of quarterbacks looks like over the next couple of years, um, I think he's he's probably going to be too good of an athlete to just not have out there in a similar, you know, not to the, not the same way that J.J. was last year, but just from a, um, you know, just got to find a place for him. And no, there is no coach – in the country better at having an eye for those position switches than the ones that the one that Michigan has. So uh, Hutch, we'll just keep going with questions here. We've got a lot in the queue already. Again, you could, uh, you could move, move to the front of the line if you decide to use the donate feature below. So be sure to check that out. This one's from Antoine Johnson who says, do you think Jim will move RJ to linebacker? He's almost as big as junior. He's been playing in the box already. It gives us more speed and coverage since Paige is good at safety. Uh, I'll start this one by saying I don't think you need to move him at all. I mean, you play a lot of three safety looks now um, in, in these more modern kind of college football defenses. So I don't know that you have to move him. 
I'm sure there are, you know, given the way that Michigan is schematically flexible and look flexible, there are probably, there might be plays where he line, you know, he's kind of more strictly in the box next to a junior Colson, but I think Mike, Mike Barrett's played pretty darn well so far. I don't know that you have to make a switch or anything like that. Yeah, hundred percent. I agree with that. And uh, I think, you know, Nikai Hill green's coming back. Uh, Kalel Mullings is coming on. So, and uh, they're going to need some linebackers though, guys, but they got a couple good ones, a good young ones in the, in the shoot there. But I like the way it's working now. And you can, the, the thing is, is it's got a bunch of pieces here, guys, where you can move them around. You look at Mike Sane Bristol, you know, using him in the Dax Hill role right now, you could play him at corner if you wanted to. So uh, Moten, you know, there are going to be some times that they can play him in the box, uh, but he's got, you know what, he's got the safeties mentality and, and he's really played well there. Uh, I think it was pro football focus. One of them, was talking about him as uh, an NFL prospect and, and just about uh, how he was kind of under the radar as a safety. So, uh, but he is versatile. There's no question about it. So I don't think you have to do that, uh, but I do like the guy. I'll say this. Uh, he's really quietly been really, really good these last couple of years. And uh, it's to have Makari Page now, who still has to prove himself. Let's be clear here. It's been three games, but uh, I love Makari Page and love the fact that he's come on. He's a great kid and has really helped bolster that sec that's secondary. But uh, you need him. You need safeties too, fellas. Yeah, it's another thing where, I mean, down the road, maybe, you know, any any option is open, but – in terms of immediately, I mean, why why not keep him in a role that he's excelling at? And as you know, Antoine mentioned, he you know is in the box already at times. Uh, Steve Klinkskill loves to cross train these guys, and you know, so they're going to move around. And he also said something before the season that I thought was interesting, and and you know, he's kind of talked about it recently too, where you have kind of those three safeties: Rod Moore, R.J. Moten, and Makari Page. And he said basically, you know. They're a top three. They're all three kind of starters. We've seen RJ and, you know, um, Rod be the starters, but they're going to rotate because he wants them to be fresh because they hope to play 15 games this year, which would include the national title game. So, you know, those are kind of your top three. And to be honest, there's, there's quite a bit of drop off after those three. So moving him would, you know, kind of take away from that depth too. Yeah. And at linebacker too, I mean, I know there is still, there are still quote unquote depth concerns there, but, you know, I'm not moving a guy who I think has played pretty well at safety to take snaps away from, you know, guys like Nikai Hill Green when he is back or Kalel Mullings or Jimmy Rolder, who I think by the end of the year, I think is going to be someone that is that is getting some run out there. So, you know, we have questions about the linebacker position, but I don't know that they are, again, a big theme of the non-conference and things we're going to talk about tonight are do, are, do we have questions with certain things or are, do we have concerns? And to me, that you know, that's not a concern right now. Let's not get, you know, Jim Harbaugh's been great with the position switches and having a feel for what the team needs and who can be put in the best position. But let's not get a little too overzealous there. I think they they've got a good thing going with uh, what they have on defense right now. And I so. and I also don't think that uh, RJ is quite as big as Junior. I mean, if you see Junior up up close, man, that dude's a monster. So yeah. True. So uh, let's keep let's keep rolling along here. We'll go to Richard also Brooks, who says, uh, what's up, Richard? What do you expect to learn after the Maryland game? Uh, I'll go first. I think we're going to find out a lot more about the secondary and the and the pass rush. They're going to, you know what, and the contain. We're going to find a lot more about this defense. I think the offense is going to roll. I don't think Maryland is very good defensively. And you know what, Michigan is it, when it, it comes down to coaching at times, too, guys. And look at 
how Michigan has done against Maryland in these last several years. Uh, they've had a, a decided schematic advantage, as Charlie Weiss would have called yes. it back in the day. And there's no question about that. Special teams, we've seen them just absolutely dominate Maryland in special teams at times as well. Jay Harbaugh, one of the more underrated assistant coaches in the country. I don't know if we could say that anymore because the word's out about his special teams, you know, for example. So, but I think we're going to find out a lot about the secondary because Maryland can sling it flat out. They've got playmakers. Okay. We're going to find out if these cornerbacks are as good as they've looked in the first three games and, uh, and how this defense really plays together against a team with, you know, high major athletes. So it's been a while guys, because you know what it's been, we can say everything we want to about, you know, 55 points a game or 53 points a game, whatever it is. And, uh, but the fact is it's, it's for real now, big 10 play. And, and we're going to find out if these guys can hang with some really good athletes. Yeah, I agree. I think the pass rush is going to be tested. I, you know, they've blitzed a ton. Last week was over 40% against the past uh, against the pass of UConn. And that's UConn. You still didn't have a sack for context. Michigan only didn't have a sack in one game last season. That was against Georgia. So, I mean, you know, you kind of want to see a little bit more out of these guys. I still don't feel like they've totally figured out who the guys are at edge in terms of, Hey, you're going to go play the majority of the snaps. They rotate about four guys in there, uh, you know, four to six at times. So, you know, it, it's got to improve a little bit and, and we'll actually learn how much of a question mark or concern or whatever that is. Chris, you said it with the secondary as well. Obviously you got to be able to cover downfield. They got some really good receivers on Maryland. I think it could be the second best receiving core in the big 10 behind Ohio state with Rakeem Jarrett, Dante Demas, who was hurt last season. So, um, Big challenge there. And then for the offense, too. I know Maryland's not a great defense, but they get some pass rush. And, you know, if you're Michigan and let's say you get down a touchdown or 10 points or something like that, you may have to throw a little bit. And if we see some of those breakdowns in pass protection like we've seen over the last three weeks, not routinely, but once in a while and kind of at inopportune times, we saw it with Cade McNamara a couple times, um, then that's, you know, that could be an issue. It could throw your offense off kilter if you take a sack get you behind the sticks. So, you know, they got to be, they got to be good and they got to play a good 60 minutes. They've only had to play, you know, a good 30 minutes, these starters, and that's, that's fine. But um, you know, now it's going to have to be the rhythm of playing a full game and in the offense having to, you know, click for a full game and, It'll be the first test, I guess, for J.J. McCarthy with that crew out there. That's a good point about the uh, the offensive line and A.B. Your concerns about the right tackle, you, uh, you think that's real? We do have a question uh, from Mays Pylon about the right tackle that? spot. Oh, God, that's, that's called a tease in the industry. Crazy. Good stuff from Chris there. Um, in terms of right tackle, we are getting to the point, and something I was going to say in response to Richard's question was, you know, what we're going to, what I'd like to see is this depth chart is going to start to reveal itself. I mean, even if Michigan blows out Maryland, they're not going to play eight quarterbacks again. You're not going to see a hundred guys get on the field. I want to kind of know who's kind of firmly in that too deep in a lot of spots, but um, you know, this is, I was underwhelmed with the right, the play at right tackle uh, from Trent A. Jones, especially after he was a guy that was kind of, um, that, that was pretty hyped up during the spring and during uh, during fall camp and, and into this season uh, needs to be better. Uh, just cons- I mean, the, the, he will have reps where he looks as advertised, but he's, he's been losing one-on-ones against here comes that term again, traffic cones from time to time. And it just needs to be, it just needs to look more consistent than that. And, and I do think that coaches see that on film. I think if Carson Barnhart was healthy right now, maybe that's a battle that does kind of get reopened up, but 
Uh, Trent Jones has to be better. I mean, I, again, three games. I will call that one of the few concerns I have right now, though. I think you know, if it's not Trent Jones, I think that Carson Barnhart could do the job. I think that guys like Jeff Percy are coming on. Uh, maybe later in the year, Andrew Gentry could be a factor. He's been impressive early. Um, so I'm not ready to call myself out on Trent a. Jones or that the right tackle is a is a you know just a, a rotating. Uh, what's the turnstile? That's the term I was looking for. But um, needs to be better. That that is one thing right now where that is to me. I mean, no offense to him. It's just the the fact of the matter is it's the weak link up front at the moment, and it needs to improve. And I think he'll get better with more playing time. I did not see that question, by the way. I cannot see the question. So that was <laughs> boom. You want to talk about uh, it's crazy. And I do love the Mace Pylon. Instead of traffic cone, you could also use Pylon if sure. you wanted to. So <laughs> very well done. I think maybe that was a uh, maybe it was a signal there to you, Anthony. But uh, I'll, I'll say this. I'll, I'll go back. This is before you guys were born. Trizel Jenkins, 1993. And I remember being concerned early in the season about the you know what they were blowing teams out but you were watching them I think it was uh, Washington State or somebody and you're thinking man that's an issue you know there's too much pressure coming and all it takes is one one blindside hit or one hit and you know JJ McCarthy and I don't want to even think about it so but uh, it's the importance of the of the pass protection clearly is you know it's it's all about those tackles so he needs to be better I think he'll get better and I agree with you Anthony about Carson Barnhart or if Clay whoever said it that when he gets 100% healthy he's going to be a little bit more in the mix there and you open that thing up and just kind of like the quarterbacks right like Jim Harbaugh said it's on merit so whoever earns it uh, takes it but you still got a couple good options there and Trente Jones is a good football player he's doing some really good things in the run game as well yeah Carson Barnhart isn't as athletic as Trente Jones but if you're not getting the job done, you know, Carson has experience. He started games at left tackle. He started games inside. I mean, you know, he could potentially, you know, win that job if he gets some game experience going forward. I'm decently concerned about just that position. I think the offense line as a whole will be fine. And Trent J. Jones is still a pretty good player. So as a whole, they're going to have one of the better offensive lines in the Big Ten. But now that you're down to one quarterback that has, you know, that type of experience, um, you know, everything's a concern. Any any sort of I will say they've they've been protecting really well for JJ McCarthy. And they have and he extends some of those plays. I mean, he took the sack last week when he had about six, seven seconds there um, and was kind of rolling out and just nothing was open downfield. But they've protected well for him for the most part. It's just been one of those, you know, one or two breakdowns here or there with that's kind of concerning. And Jim Harbaugh said it today, where you're kind of you get beat. Um, you know, they've guys getting beaten one-on-ones that shouldn't really happen that much against UConn or Hawaii or Colorado state. The fact of the matter is, and just have to call it as, as it is, as a result of the performance. Um, it's not, it's a little, to me, it's a little bigger than just ah, a couple snaps here and there need to be cleaned up. You literally got your backup quarterback killed on Saturday. Um, and you can argue, that maybe he should or shouldn't have been out there. I mean, that's irrelevant. You have a you your your number gets called. You get put on the field. You have a job to do. You protect you protect that guy. And uh, you know, as a unit, uh, got Cade got beat up against Hawaii. Cade got beat up late in that half against UConn. Um, it's not acceptable against teams of that caliber. So it does need to improve. It does need to get better. But I think it will. They're just too, they're too talented up front there for it to just completely fall off um you know their their interior is i don't know if there's a better interior offensive line in college football 
Uh, I would say that both tackles would stand to improve, though. But I think Ryan Hayes has gotten a bit better from last year. So uh, we will go to our next question here. This one is from – we'll go to Deborah Bolton, who says, one complaint I have had over the Harbaugh years is 90% of the run offense was through the line. It looks to me as if he is starting to run through the ends more last year and this year. Do you agree? Yeah, you know, it's it took a couple years, and he's no longer – with us, he's not dead. He just has a different job. But Josh Gaddis always preached about speed and pace. And all that ever meant was, you know, people thought that that meant Michigan was going four receivers, four wide receivers, uh, five wide receivers. And this is going to be a high octane, um, balls to the wall, explosive passing game. All speed and space ever meant was getting the ball to your playmakers with green grass in front of them. And that is where. Uh, that was sort of the game plan we saw in the first week of the year uh, with Cade starting. It's what we saw last week against UConn. We've talked about before, this is going to be an offense that is sort of, they think they can do it all, and especially with what they have at quarterback now. I think you can pretty much do it all when it comes to game planning and style of play, attack, all those types of things. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, when you have a Ronnie Bell, when you have a Roman Wilson, um, you know, I don't have an issue with those bubble screens if they're, and that's the key too. If they're blocked well, these wide receivers are blocking their rear ends off right now. Everyone who gets in there from the top guy down to, you know, the fifth or sixth guy on the depth chart. And when that's a strength of your football team, you emphasize what your strengths are. Last year, their strength was hammering it up the middle with, uh, with Hassan Haskins. This is a little bit different of a group. So, yeah, uh, attacking the perimeter, getting those guys out in space. That has been such such a delightful development and step forward for them because, you know, a lot of times in the past, and de- like, like Deborah says, definitely early on in the Harbaugh years, it was more, all right, we're going to put our best on your best and we're going to hammer you no matter what. Now it's, now it's a little more predicated on matchups, and I like that. We have not seen the variety. We haven't seen the zone stretch play much, I think, the zone blocking stretch play. that, Where, example, Blake Corum, I think, scored on a long touchdown on that play against Washington, I think it was, where he's running that way. Um, and Doug Ski noticed that when we were talking the other day. So I think we'll see more of that and more of the center pulling. Uh, Olu Oluwatimi is certainly capable of that. We haven't seen a whole lot of that yet. So I think there are a lot of things that we haven't seen yet in non-conference play. So, And maybe that's what they wanted to work on, right, uh, get that, that offensive line together. Uh, on the interior and, and get them some reps together. So uh, there are a lot of things that we haven't seen yet that we're going to see. And to your point on the perimeter game, that is, you know, as everybody said over the years, that's an extension of the running game. You know what? And then when you've got guys playing seven yards off the line of scrimmage, like UConn was and JJ McCarthy sees that. And as quickly as he gets the ball out there and with the guys that you have blocking on the perimeter, that is a great way to move the ball in chunks, six, seven, eight, ten 10 yards at a time. So uh, I like that. And I think we're going to see more of that but you're going to see teams that come up with their corners and challenge them right so the complaints about all oh, they they didn't throw any deep balls and why aren't they you know stretching the field well when you can get 38 yards you know what by starting a play at the line of scrimmage on a low percentage pass play or, or high percentage pass play rather with a high percentage of chance of success one elite player making a move and he's going to get a big gain, then that's what you do. So it's, uh, yeah, it's cliche, but it's take what the defense gives you. And I don't think we're going to see, for example, Jim Harbaugh running the ball into the line at Iowa under the teeth of an Iowa defense that is, that is salivating waiting for that. So uh, there's a lot more to that playbook that we have not seen. It has not been, you know, it's the cliche too that, you know, it's vanilla and they haven't turned the page in the playbook, but that is absolutely accurate. 
Yes, no disrespect to the guys earlier on in the Harbaugh era, but the personnel now, when you look at the skill positions, is you know more suited for this. Especially, you know, last year you were running up the middle a lot because you had Hassan Haskins, but Blake Corum was kind of that change of pace. We saw him get to the edge. Now this season you're seeing it more. They're still running up the middle a decent amount, but I think something overlooked too with that perimeter, you know, kind of quick pass game is JJ McCarthy's arm strength. I mean, that ball gets over there super quick, and next thing you know, Roman Wilson's got the ball, and you know he's got three blockers against two guys with a linebacker trying to, you know, scrape all the way over. So, you know, it's just favorable matchups and it's kind of more of the speed and space, not to harp on the Josh Gaddis thing, but you know, then we have seen, um, you know, he didn't, because he didn't of invent the West the coast offense, by the way, no matter what he thinks. What's that? I said, Josh Gaddis didn't invent, invent the West coast offense, despite what he thinks. So yeah. <laughs> it is what right. it is. And, you know, thanks, Josh Gaddis, probably for for uh, watching tonight. But, you know, so I do think that Michigan can continue, you know, hitting the edge and getting some big plays. We haven't seen a ton of big plays in the run game yet. But as Chris, you said, I mean, that playbook's going to open up. They haven't been showing a ton. Not only have they not been showing a ton when the first team's in there, but the first team hasn't been in there a whole lot. So, as uh, Ronnie Bell said today, there's still a lot that this offense is going to show, and he feels like they're still leaving some meat on the bone with what they are showing. So there's a lot of potential for the what is the number one scoring offense in the country at 55.3 points per game. Rich people problems, right? Got it. So First world uh, problems, we, whatever you want to call them. <laughs> uh, we're going to go to a question from Captain Banana Peel who asks is <laughs> i know some of these names are great guys also uh the queue is starting to get a little bit dry here so keep getting those questions in again if you want to move yourself to the front of the line uh consider using the donate feature below for a super chat a shout out we will get you up instantly uh, or as quickly as we possibly can when those come up so uh captain banana peel asks is our o-line push enough to play with penn state they are too good in offense that is forced to lean on the pass um it's a little early for me to look to Penn State. I mean, Penn State has been – they've been good this year. I mean, what they did to Auburn over the weekend, despite the fact that Auburn isn't what it was a couple of years ago, impressive. You go down south and win a game by 30 points, that's a check mark for you. Uh, I thought their resolve in a game at Purdue was impressive. Um, you know, Purdue sort of gift-wrapped them that game, but they still made enough plays to win, and that looks like a team that – you know, phys- they do look physical. They are chippy. And, you know, before you get there – I want to see how this team holds up in a game against Maryland. And I want to see them get punched in the mouth a bit at Iowa and Indiana. You know, they're probably still one of the lesser teams in the big 10, but that's a group under Tom Allen that will always punch you in the mouth and probably dive at your knees a time or two as well. So you have to be on high alert for that. But you know, there are those physical challenges coming before they get to that Penn state game. So again, every week is, you know, People look at these benchmarks throughout the season. They go, we're not going to be tested until Penn State, or we're not going to be tested until Michigan State, or God, we might not be tested at all until all the way till the Ohio State game. You can see stuff week to week that develops um, as a a question mark or not. Uh, I've seen a lot of comments in there about the trenches on both sides of the ball. I think we've talked about that. We know what the potential is, but um, those guys guys need to be better, and I think that they will benefit from – perhaps a slow start in a game to see how they respond to that, how this team responds to adversity just across the board. 
I want to know why when our producer Hutch changed his name to Captain Banana Peel, number one. And uh, number two, number two, they are too good for an offense that is forced to lean on the pass. You mean like Purdue, who moved the ball like crazy and should have won that game? Uh, I don't, I'm not quite sure that I understand what he's trying to say, but I will say this uh, interior line of Michigan has the ability to play with anybody. And so that's certainly not a concern at this point. I think there was some boredom, guys, uh, at times. And I'll say this they kind of let down when they're up, you know, and Skeen could see it in the body language as well, Doug Skeen, our, our analyst who played offensive line at Michigan and in the NFL. You know what? It's a tendency when you're up three scores to say, okay, where's my chicken sandwich and let's go home and, and have some fun. And you know what? We did our job here. You know, it's human nature. So um, at the same time, yeah, they need to be they need to be more consistent. This is not the Joe Moore winning award-winning line, but at the, what have they? They've rushed for a ton of yardage still, guys. You know, if you look at the stats and uh, they're up there, they haven't broken some of the long runs because again, I think some of it is they haven't really gone to the edges like they probably will against some of these other teams. And, uh, you know, some of these teams have, have really stacked the line against the run. Uh, so they've taken advantage on the perimeter. So uh, I think this line is very good. I think it will prove to be very good and I think it'll get continue to get stronger. And let's keep in mind too, that they've been banged up and they haven't been playing together as much as we expected them to for a few reasons. Number one, because of the blowouts. Number two, because some guys have been banged up. Trevor Keegan's been out for, you know, very massive portions of a couple of games. Ryan Hayes missed a game. So let's see what happens when all these guys are playing together here for a couple of weeks in a row. Yeah. And for as much as we've talked about the offensive line needing to be better, one, it wasn't the best offensive line in the country at the beginning of last season. They got better and better as that season went on. They kind of got the momentum, you know, got that confidence going. And then you saw it all kind of culminate in the Ohio State game. Two, there have been some really good things, especially in the run blocking department. Olu has been fantastic at times. Zach Zinter has been really good. I think Ryan Hayes has done a good job run blocking. Trente Jones has had his moments in run blocking as well. And then you've kind of had that revolving uh, door at left guard. Giovanni Ohadi looks really promising, but Trevor Keegan is kind of that big question mark right now. How healthy is he? It, it sucks to see that, you know, he kind of came out of that Hawaii game with an arm injury goes back in, and then last week has to come out because of the same thing, it seems like. Uh, and he was this is a kid that was battling a shoulder last year and was kind of in and out. Remember midseason around the Nebraska game when they had to play a couple uh, you know, younger guards. So that's kind of the question there for me in terms of this offensive line. But I think by the time they get to Penn State, all those guys are going to be playing at a higher level and you hope Trevor Keegan will be healthier too. And let's be honest, guys, that Iowa defense is going to challenge him. They're probably every bit as good as as Penn State's defense right now, if not better. So that's when the first big challenge comes. Their offense stinks. Their defense is really good. And Iowa's Iowa. defensive – oh, sorry. Iowa's defensive stats are really good right now. And think of that. They're really good as is in a vacuum. When you're playing with that offense, it's putting you in terrible positions. Exactly. Um you know, that's a really good Iowa defense. They brought back a bunch of guys from that unit. They can force turnovers. They can stuff the run. I mean, Michigan had a tough time running between the tackles in the Big Ten Championship game last year. It's why they had to kind of get a little, little creative there, especially in the first half before things kind of opened up. So still going to be a challenge. And again, you know, Iowa's going to be playing, you know, maybe the game of their life. And maybe by then, you know, Brian will be out of the family business and they'll, you know, move on to another offensive coordinator. Who knows what could happen in the next two weeks? So, um, I still think it's going to be a test for sure. And then Penn State will be another big one because I do think their defense is pretty good too. 
Yeah, to stay on the offensive line for a second, my concern with them hasn't really been the run blocking. To me, it's more pass protection. We've mm-hmm. talked about that. And this is a group that in a lot of ways might – this might be a team that has to pass to set up the run in some games. So the fact that some of those guys haven't held up as well against the pass, that to me, that's a bigger concern. Uh, but first and foremost, just – you know, even if a guy is out for a bit and someone has to step in and replace him, I just think that whoever is out there just needs more reps. They all need more reps together, and that is something that will um, inherently improve. So we'll see. I think that to take some of the burden off the offensive line, um, you do want to see some more of the bigger plays down the field just to take a guy or two out of the box. Because um, I think when we've, seen t- when we've seen teams stunt and blitz a bit, that is where kind of they've had – you know, they're, they're plateful in terms of pass protection. So, uh, by the way, Iowa, for those of that are on here that did not know noon kickoff next Saturday. So you avoid the night game, you avoid, it's still a weird, by all accounts, a weird atmosphere. They have a way of dragging you down, uh, when you go out there to their level, but that is the reality of the situation. So you don't have to worry about being stressed out all day and then sweating one out in the evening. You'll, you'll have your answer on that game before dinner time. So, hmm. Uh, let's see. Who do we go to next here? I want to take one from someone who hasn't spoken yet. Kicking chicken. Kicking chicken. We'll go to, we'll go to kicking chicken. How come I can't see these questions, guys? I just. This should yeah. be on the right for you. It's not. Oh, there's comments. All right. There we go. There Old go. guys um, technology. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get you there. We got you on yep. the training wheels protocol right now. So <laughs> yeah. All right. Thank you. <laughs> uh kicking chicken uh, who has uh, ohio state i'll call them ohio state that's what they're called sorry uh, ohio state looks soft on defense they haven't played a good offense that will put them in tough situations um no they haven't i think that's my response to that uh, i agree and you know what i think they have some of the same question marks that they had last year and uh except that they're paying their defensive coordinator a lot more now so it's going to be interesting does you know when we get there uh, you know does michigan have the the offense to you know take it to him again as that offensive line you know hassan haskins was a beast in that game and as much as good as the offensive line was uh, he was a difference maker guys his Okay, there it is. Man, stop it. Michigan's going to beat Iowa no matter what. And see, now the comments are bothering me. I'm going to turn those off. Now he's distracted. Exactly. <laughs> but I will say this. Uh, yeah, I will say this. That's a question mark for them. Uh, and you could probably hang in a shootout with them better than you could have in the past. So, and I don't think you're going to, I think that defense, uh, they figured some things out. You know, I think Notre Dame, for example, used the Michigan blueprint in that first game against against Ohio State and uh, really confused them at times. So uh, I'm, I'm excited to go down there. I think this is going to be the first time in a long time where, you know, even in 2018, you're like, is this too good to be true? You know, and, and it kind of felt like it was. And then it proved to be. But I'm not getting that sense this year. So, uh, again, a long time between now and then. But I think that's a, certainly a good question. And I'm anxious to see what Wisconsin, you know, what their offensive line does against them in the running game. They've been, you know, Wisconsin always gets off to a slow start in the non-conference, but they got those bruisers up front. So it'll be a fun one to watch on Saturday night, too. First of all, have you guys had kicking chicken? The little the seasoning that goes—it's fantastic. Never heard of it. No, nope. it's, it's great. Try that on your chicken. But, um, I like Ohio State's defense to me, totally unknown. Like how much better it, it's going to be by the end of the season. I think it's going to improve throughout the year. You, you've kind of seen them do some different things with you know disguising things that you've seen in the first few weeks. They're probably going to do more of that as the competition gets a little stiffer. 
Um, I don't know that Michigan's going to run for 300-something yards on him either, but this Michigan team's different. Um, this Michigan team can throw probably better than last season. We'll see how everything plays out. We still haven't seen J.J. McCarthy against tough competition as the starter, but it certainly feels like that's probably going to be the case here going forward. So, um, yeah, Ohio State's defense, I mean, they, they might be really, really good by the end of the season. They have a lot of talent on that side. They just need to figure things out. Um, but I do think Michigan's going to be able to do some things against them, and it probably will be a game where it could go back and forth. But, I mean, again, we're talking, what, 10 weeks down the road, nine, so um, don't want to get too much ahead of ourselves. Yeah, I don't want people to get lured in by this, the Ohio State secondary. I mean, the fact of the matter is that, you know, Hassan Haskins gets the credit, rightfully so, for the Ohio State game last year. Aiden Hutchinson gets credit. You won that game last year because you were dominant up front on both sides of the ball. And I haven't seen that from this Michigan team yet. And nope. you know, say what you will about Ohio State or even you know Ohio State, Notre Dame. Ohio State got dragged into a bar fight the first week of the year, and they took some punches, and they counterpunched. And that's something that I didn't see that Ohio State team do last year. So, you know, I would caution people to look at, or, you know, to not just rely on box scores and, what passing rate? Like, I think that I do think when push comes to shove, and they've heard the BS all year, uh, and they'll hear it going into the game about what Michigan did to them last year. I think that Ohio State team is going to be a little more ready for a fight. And the question is, is this Michigan team? Because I'm still waiting to see. You know, we've seen the fireworks, but I don't. I don't know that I've seen the edge yet. So I still think, based on what my eyeballs say, uh, three weeks into the year, to me, I think Michigan looks the most well-rounded. Uh, of any of the teams in the Big Ten right now, but uh, they have questions that will be answered as we transition into October. Now, it was it was about this time last year where you know they they survived that game against Rutgers. They went to Wisconsin. They went to Nebraska, and you're like, okay, took some punches, delivered counter punches and sucker punches of their own. So over the next couple of weeks, regardless of what you think about the next few teams that they play, we will learn a lot about this Michigan football team. So. Uh, we will go to a question from, let's see, Galen Hardy. That's great. Uh, and guys, thank you so much. We're getting, I mean, we're getting bombarded here in the chat. So um, thank you for giving it. You pretty much have, you've been the fourth co-host today. So we appreciate that. This is from Galen Hardy. He says, if we added more Pac-10, it's the Pac-12 schools, could you see the Big Ten going to three divisions, West, Central, and East? I don't see three divisions. I think we'll probably... I, I would have to think in the here and now we're probably staying east-west with someone from the west moving over, or maybe they go to pods. But I, that's the biggest unknown about this because there are a lot of logistical, I won't say issues, but there are a lot of things to work through when now you're sending teams across, you know, three time zones to play games. So I do wonder, like, ideally for both of you guys, what does that look like to you? This next iteration of the sixteen-team Big Ten. I think it's pods, and I do think that they are going to look at – I think Michigan is and Ohio State are always going to suffer for it because of TV, right? They want good matchups. I, I really believe that. It's not going to be one of those things where – for example, how many times has Michigan played Wisconsin from the West compared to other teams? I haven't looked, but holy smokes, man. It seemed like they were on the, on the schedule all the time uh, because it was a good Seven matchup. years in a row, I think. Right, exactly. And then it was Nebraska for six years in a row, and, you know – 
who knew Scott Frost was going to stink it up as much as he did. So, and uh, cause that, you know, and if they ever get back, you know, if Nebraska ever gets back, you know what, six years in a row, I think is what it was initially slated for uh, Michigan and, and Nebraska. So um, yeah, they're going to want to see Michigan and UJC on TV, aren't they? They're going to want to see Michigan and UCLA compared to, you know, Michigan and Rutgers or whatever. So uh, I think it will be one of those things though, where um, it's going to be, I don't know, it's going to be tough to, to manage if you have three divisions that I don't think, I don't think anybody's ever done that. And I don't think anybody ever will. So, uh, but you know what? I've always hated the fact that you can get a champion without having to play everybody or, you know, you've got one team with an easier schedule, maybe a protected game for, you know, Indiana's Purdue, if Indiana were good or whatever, Purdue is Indiana and Michigan's protected games back in the day of legends and leaders were, you know, tough, some tough games. So uh, yeah, it's, it's never going to be perfect guys, but uh, you know what? It's so much different now anyway. Uh, it doesn't really matter. It, it really doesn't to me. It's going to be one of those things where uh, they're going to come and they're going to go and Michigan's always going to have a tough schedule. Yeah, it's, it is, you know, unfair in a way to the Michigans because you're going to protect Ohio state. You're probably going to protect Michigan state. And, you know, that means you're playing a much tougher schedule than Indiana Purdue type of thing. And look, I mean, I don't know what they're going to do. I mean, it's impossible for me to answer that question. I don't even know if they know because it's still up in the air. Are they going to add more teams? How many are they going to add? Where are those teams going to be located? You know, the logistics of that, but, um, I like right now what they have with, you know, it sucks that the big 10 East is so much better than the West, but I think Michigan, you know, being in a different division than Ohio state and having to play them every year is kind of that protected game is even worse. So I don't know what they're going to do, but I think it's, it's going to be kind of a mess unless you go with those pods and you make it as fair as possible for everybody and rotate those every few years. But I don't know, this is a tough one. No clue what uh, Kevin Warren has up his sleeve. Yeah, I think probably, I mean, if I were doing it, I'd probably be adding another conference game, getting rid of a non-conference game and doing one cupcake non-conference game, a one power five from another conference, and then play your three protected games from the pod, if that's what it is, and then everyone else rotates. So, Or maybe you rotate pods kind of like the NFL does. All right, this year you're playing the NFC West. This year you're playing, you know, sort of that type of setup. Yeah. So, um you know, I, I I understand and agree with like Michigan's always going to be at a disadvantage because they're going to play the games that put asses in front of televisions. Like that's just the reality of the situation. But at the same time, um, you know, if you're a program that is cut from a cut above everyone else, if you want to be uh, in that, you want to stay in that tier with the Georgias, Ohio State, Alabamas, I don't hear those teams or their their fan bases complain about the schedules a lot. It's just go out there and win the game. So um, mm. I've heard them complaining about some other team schedules uh, well, recently. But well, and I will no. say this though, Anthony, if you're going to go with if you're going to add a conference game and go to ten and then make them play a Power Five in one of the two non-conference, I would only do that if the SEC is on board with that too. Because um, yeah. you know, yeah, you're going to a twelve-team playoff, so you're going to have more teams in. But right now, as it is, the complaints about Michigan's schedule compared to Alabama, who plays only eight conference games. And then, yeah, they scheduled Texas, but the other three are cupcakes too. So it kind of evens out in that way. And you're getting all the complaints, you know, not that that really matters, but, you know, from the fans of different schools or whatever, Michigan, you know, I don't care that they're getting made fun of or whatever for their schedule, but, you know, 
if we're going to really look at it and dive into it, it's not that bad. And I know it's been better in other years. I know that's a little off talk off topic, but you know, like if you're going to add that stuff, I mean, you better damn make sure that, you know, the sec is doing it too. Yeah. I mean, if, if we're, if this is where it's heading, where big 10 sec are kind of more or less the new AFC NFC and whatever this college football super powered thing is going to be. I mean, to hell with it, go down to eight and, let's let's play an fcs team in week 13 if that's what they're gonna do right, right? so um, and there's the bell and there's the bell to go on to the next topic here we go yeah there we go there's a couple <laughs> bells going. ding 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 we're done yep. with that so yep. uh we'll see what happens a lot a lot of stuff to still work out over the next couple of years so uh i want to take a question here my god this is what happens when you do it live people start bothering you um from Drew Wright, White, who asked, a little lighter on, on this one for us. Uh, will Michigan wear the Mays jerseys this year? Chris, you're our resident insider. I don't know if you have any jersey <laughs> intel. I don't see that happening, guys. Nope. I don't uh, I don't think that's going to happen. I think that would be one of those things where if they did a uh, one of those games again in, in the uh, early the non-conference portion of the season where it's a, like a neutral site game or something like that, but I don't see that happening, no. No, this year, it doesn't make as no. much sense. It would have been cool. They were planning out of that Penn State last season. Yep. But when you think of it, your road game, I don't I don't like wearing them at home. And people were saying, oh, maybe they'll do it for the maze out against Penn State. Well, I don't think they're going to they're gonna like that contrast or, or non-contrast of having maze on the maze crowd. Your road game's at Iowa. I wouldn't do it there. It doesn't make sense. Mm-mm. And then the other ones aren't big enough. And then Ohio State is so big where you wouldn't do it. So maybe not this year. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's it's a huge deal, but it is funny how many it is funny how they went from never switching up the jerseys to yeah. last year is like, what are they going to wear? What are they going to wear? And it was fun to track and follow. Uh, and I like the different looks in every game. So it was I'll exciting. That, and maybe we'll see different pants, you know, in the road games. And things I like don't that. like the blue pants. I got to be honest. I, I don't like them. I like the maze pants. Yeah. So, but and James Franklin, by the way, was supposedly the one that put the kibosh on that last year on the maze jerseys. So instead, they wore all the other maze accessories. Yeah. Just well, they already like, had them ready. Yeah. Yeah. So that's just kind of like a big uh, screw you, James, and then went out and, and got the dub. So, yeah, I don't see it happening. Uh, it will happen in the future. I just don't think it'll happen this year. Uh, yeah. Uh, how about this uniform request from me? Bring back the road jerseys with the yellow outline on the number. Yes. Uh, yes. Look a little too much like Penn State when you yep. play on the road right now. So uh, we might have time for a couple more. Uh, I think we pretty much got burned through everyone here. Uh, let's see if we can take. I like this one from Adrian. I think we'll end on this. Um, is Ronnie Bell Michigan's best wide receiver? Adrian thinks personally he might be overrated. Uh, I'll push back against that right off the bat. Seven catches for 96 yards this week. I think six for 76 or something last week. I think that dude right now is far and away your best wide receiver. Yeah, he's the best blocker. He is the best route runner. Uh, He's had a couple problems with his hands, obviously. And um, Ben really, uh, you know what? This guy is the heart and soul of this football team. Uh, I think if anything, he is underrated as a teammate. Uh, There's a reason that he was on our cover this year of the Michigan football the wolverine.com football the wolverine football preview because uh this guy's everything you want i think jim harbaugh has said ronnie bell he'd take 100 of them on every one of his teams so uh, he is going to finish with the most yards 
and hopefully they can get some of the other these other young guys involved. Somebody I saw a comment over there talking about the young receivers. You know, Andrew Anthony, where's he been? You know, get him involved here. The kid can obviously play. But at Michigan, you're waiting your turn too, fellas. Cornelius Johnson's had a good start, and so you you know you go to the guys that are open. And Ronnie Bell's going to continue to get open. He's going to be that go-to guy. I don't think there's any question that he's the best receiver on this team. Completely agree. I think he's going to lead the team in receiving as well. Um, we've already kind of seen, yeah, he's had a couple of those drops, but we've already seen him kind of emerge as the number one receiver. And I kind of like this core, how everyone kind of has their role. Ronnie's really good at some of those like underneath drag route type of things. He can turn up field. He can also, you know, catch the deep ball. Cornelius can catch the deep ball. Roman Wilson has made tough catches, but also they're getting him involved in kind of that short game and getting him in space. Andrew Anthony's a guy that I think we will continue to, or we will see more of as the season goes on. He's actually playing, more than Roman Wilson, but just not getting those targets. Those will come. I mean, and especially, you know, JJ with his relationship with Andrell, he probably wants to get him the ball more. So um, I think we'll see that. But there, there's no question in my mind that at this current moment in this season, Ronnie Bell's the best receiver. But I think there are some guys with a little higher potential that, you know, could come on in, in year, you know, years to come, including maybe a Darius Clemens down the road or something like that. But for now, Ronnie Bell's Michigan's best receiver, and there is no problem with that. He's a very good one. Led the team in receiving twice already. Probably will do it again this season. Yep, I think you're right. Yeah. And and by the way, Andrew Anthony's a great blocker too. Sorry to interrupt you there, Anthony, but he's done a great job watching downfield. So and he's learned from Ronnie Bell. Yeah, it is. It's one of those things where Juwan Howard says it all the time: get ready, sir. Stay ready, so you don't have to get ready. And I think when we look at as this sort of depth, I know there was a lot of Darius Clemens hype, and he's going to have his time probably an opportunity this season to make, make a play or get some extended run. But the way I see it now, especially after Saturday where we saw the most we've seen AJ Henning uh, all year, which was good to see. I mean, he, he showed a lot of things back in the spring game to me. He looked like he had improved as a route runner and, and as a gadget guy that you could use a little more as a traditional wide receiver in the slot. Um, so you really have four five, or if, if Andrell gets some more run here soon, you've got four, four to five guys that, you know, need to touch the football, need to get theirs. And it's going to be, again, back to Matt Weiss, rich people problems, something they have to figure out, but they are operating out of a position of strength there. But uh, it would be great to see. I mean, of all the guys, I'm still I'm still itching to see more of Andrew Anthony, and I think that he's itching to see more targets too. So uh, any other final thoughts as we close this out here? Excited to see some real good football now in the Big Ten, guys. It's been a little boring, frankly, you know, and it's it's I hate to say it, but, you know, when you're writing your column at halftime, you know, and thinking about what you're doing afterwards and the other games that are coming on, uh, I'd like to see a, a little bit better schedule going forward. And I understand that this was made years in advance. Some of these teams were better, but let's get a couple decent games on there and get more prepared for Big Ten play. That's what I'd say. Yeah, it's not going to happen next year. No, nope. because they play East Carolina, Bowling Green, and I think UNLV. So, Murderers Row. Yeah, yeah. Those teams are better though. It's a step up. ECU is not bad most of the time. Yeah. They're they're all right. You know? <laughs> yeah. So we'll see. No, no final thoughts for me. No final thoughts. <laughs> no, I have nothing. Nothing further to add. End of um, Jim, as Jim Harbaugh said today. End, end of end sentence. End of sentence. Yeah. Of sentence. <laughs> that was great because that's so funny because he will he will trail off and someone will start asking another question and then he'll just re-engage with the previous question. So um, maybe he should speak when his that you know 
declare when your sentences are over. So, yeah, no other final thoughts from me. Ready for the games to get a little more difficult, a little more pushback, a little more resistance. And, hey, you know what? Maybe they just keep beating the hell out of everyone. And this just goes all season. So, which hey, if we could all have our stories done and wrapped up by early in the fourth quarter, fine by me. But we know over the course of a of a potentially 15 game season what you know there's there's going to be some fights in there so uh clayton thank you for hopping on chris as always thank you uh our our fans are spoiled they get you two nights in a row so uh we appreciate (laughs) we appreciate you guys um appreciate everyone who hopped in with the the questions the comments you guys are the lifeblood of all this so uh thank you uh be sure to subscribe to the channel leave a like on the video Uh, Those of you who are listening on the podcast feed after the fact, leave a five-star review. Tell us what you like most about the show and come back and join us live every Monday night at six o'clock with the three of us here. We'll be doing it all season long. So for Chris Ballas, for Clayton safety, uh, safety, safety, safety. It's time. It's time to get out of here. Uh, I'm Anthony Broom. Thank you guys so much. And we will talk to you soon.